Hey, there you go. Welcome to our brand new series. We're all going to be singing that together before this summer is over. Can you dig it? Part of our summer of love, and uh, it's going to be a fun summer. The whole summer is really about parties and loving our city and loving each other. We're going to kick it off with with uh, this taco, uh, you know, longest taco Tuesday of the year, uh, softball, tacos, and tie-dye in the park. It's going to be a fun, fun day, Tuesday the 20th. Taco truck there, and we're just going to have a lot of fun. And the idea is we're going to love on each other, have fun together, and it's a, just a great thing to bring a friend to. You've got a new friend, got some new neighbors, got someone at work that you'd like to uh, introduce to your church friends. Then, uh, man, what, what can you do better than to invite them to free tacos and uh, tie-dye a special shirt for them? I mean, uh, so that's going to be a lot of fun. And then the other uh, piece of it in the front end of the summer is encouraging fa- our faith family to throw block parties for people in our community, our neighbors. Throw a neighborhood block party. Throw a block far party for people that you work with. You know, it wouldn't be exactly a block party in that case, but... Uh, that's what all this, this block party kit is about in the foyer. We're having a big block party, a big block party on University Street on Friday night. And uh, it's going to be big and fun. Great opportunity for uh, It's going to be right smack in front of our house. And uh, we think... Uh, there, there may be 100 people, over 100 people there. So block parties, ways to show, build relationships and just uh, show love to people in our city. So that's kind of the front end of the summer of love, block parties and uh, tacos and tie-dye. But the other part of it is uh, this brand new series, Can You Dig It? Part of the summer of love. Can you dig it? Uh, exploring groovy truth about God and you. And that's what we're going to be doing all summer long. And we're going to be, uh, I'm going to be assisted by Josh Wheatley, Glenn Matlock, and Chris Harrison. The four of us together are going to tag team this summer. And we're going to be talking about the Bible's big truths in this series. That's what it's about. The primary affirmations of a Jesus follower. Now, you might call these doctrines. You might call this a theological study. That's okay. It's kind of what it is. We're going to be digging into these doctrines this summer, one er, different one every Sunday with a different presenter, and we're going to be looking at the core affirmations that we adhere to as a faith family. And we want to do that because we live in a tough day and age. We live in a challenging time. A lot of things are being challenged. Our culture is going a certain direction, and, and we want to not just thrive as Jesus followers, but we want to have influence as Jesus followers. We don't want us to just be safe and secure, just you and me, you know, but hey, we want to be in the world having influence. If we want to do that, we've got to be strong and clear-minded and biblically literate. We've got to understand what we believe. And if uh, we want to have impact on our culture, we're going to have to understand our faith. And uh, th- that's what this series is about. See, 2017, the year 2017, it's not only the 50th anniversary of the Summer of Love, 1967, look it up, but it's also the 500th anniversary of something called the Reformation. That's a year when a man named Martin Luther took a bold stand on some bedrock truths and said, you know what, some things are worth fighting over. And so what he took actions over some bedrock truths that we're going to be studying this summer. He actually took a stand on those that actually ended up 
dividing the church into Catholics and Protestants, protesters. And you say, well, that's not a good thing, is it? Well, you know, there are some things that are worth dividing over. There are some things that are important enough to divide over. Some bedrock truths that uh, are important enough that they ought to be stood for. And that's what we're going to be talking about every Sunday this summer, another installment on one of these truths. If you want to be a well-equipped Jesus follower, then these are things you need to know. So when we introduced our Summer of Love theme, Carla Geiger sent me a note uh, about a poster that she had in her church when she was a teenager in uh, right around 1970, 1969, 1970. Now, Carla was going to church in Starbuck, Washington, that, that, that hub of hipness, you know, in the 1970s. And uh, <laughs> they had a poster there that was a, a, a takeoff of a very famous poster that came out the same year we're talking, Summer of Love, 1967. 1967, famous poster. It was everywhere. And it said this, keep the faith, baby. Keep the faith, baby, generated this whole state. You know, keep the faith, baby. Well, she had a poster in her church that said, it said, uh, keep the faith, baby, not the baby faith. And that is what this summer is about. It's equipping us to keep the faith, baby, not the baby faith. Uh, Keep the faith. And you the thing is, you can't keep the faith. How, how do you keep the faith? You see, I like that. You know, that's pretty cool, not the baby faith. You know, yeah, I want to keep the faith. How do you keep the faith? How do you keep the faith? How do you even know what the faith is? How do you know the boundaries of the faith? How do you know what fits and what doesn't fit? How do you know uh, what's worth it and what's not worth it? What's worth dividing over and what's not worth dividing over? Not that big of a deal. How do you even know how to keep the faith, even if you aspire to do that? Well, that's the first question that we want to address this morning. That's the first thing that we're going to take on in, in our series, Can You Dig It?, is we want to answer the question, how do you even know what the faith is. And the answer to that question is basically this. We know what the faith is, and we can keep it because we have a book from God. We have, and if anything said any Sunday makes you think, that's pretty good, or yeah, I like that, and you're afraid to say amen, you could just say Groovy, and that would be perfectly acceptable. Groovy for the next ninety days is uh, is a very hip thing to say. <laughs> so, hey, we have a book from God. Actually, not just one book, but sixty six books compiled into a library, bound together, a portable library that came from God. And this portable library is the ultimate source of truth, the ultimate definitive source of truth about God and His work in the world. We have a book from God. Now, that's a bold claim. And fully explaining how we ended up with a book from God, and, you know, that that would take some time. 
more than just one Sunday. So my goal this morning, I get one shot at this. This is my Sunday. And so I get one shot at, at this idea that we have a book from God. And I could do a number of different things with it. And one of them I'm not going to try to do. I am not going to try to prove to you this morning that, that the Bible is from God. I'm not going to try to prove that to you. I could. I, we could talk about the historical accuracy of the Bible, that the Bible describes history, that as people understand history better, it actually shows that the Bible knows what it's talking about. We could talk about that. Uh, we could talk about the internal consistency of the Bible. The Bible is composed over 1,500 years. Imagine a book that had started 1,500 years ago. That put us at about five, 600 A.D., and that it had been composed over this period of time, different authors, and that somehow it all fit. Imagine that, that it all fit together, internal consistency. That's another evidence for the uniqueness of the Bible. We could talk about that. We could talk about the uh, astonishing prophecies that the Bible ma- makes and how hundreds of years later they have been fulfilled. It's amazing. We could talk about that. Or we could use the killer argument. The killer argument is this. Jesus believed the Bible was from God. Now, he only had access to the Old Testament, 39 books of the Old Testament. But very clearly, Jesus accepted those 39 books as authoritative. He believed them word for word. He submitted to them. He taught them. And after a while, if you take Jesus seriously, you're going to end up taking the Bible seriously. You have to. You can't take Jesus seriously without ending up taking the Bible seriously. And we could talk about that. Uh, We could talk about uh, that, you know, the the fact that the Bible is from God. We could could prove it. But my goal this morning is not to try to prove it to you. I'm not going to try to prove it. I'm not going to show you evidence for it. I have one shot this morning, and my goal, I think I will spend our time better if instead of trying to prove it to you, which can be done, Instead of trying to prove it to you, I want to extend, instead just explain it to you. I want to explain what this means. We have a book from God. I want, I want to talk about what that means. And then not just what it means, but how we ought to respond to it. And here's the beauty of it. I think that in explaining what it means and how we should respond to it, I think that in that conversation, you will actually begin to see some of the Bible's own See, there's a quality of the Bible that's called its self-authenticating nature. That is, the Bible has a way of authenticating itself. If the Bible is really from God, then there's a way, there's a sense in which you begin to, it, it begins to convince you of that itself. And so, if we'll just take the what, what this truth means and how we ought to respond to it seriously... We might even find that in that process, we find all the proof that we need that the Bible is actually a book from God. And for me, just personally speaking, more and more, I am less and I am less in need of being convinced of the historical accuracy of the Bible and the prophetic qualities. All those things, they're great, they're fabulous, they're super. But more and more, I'm convinced the Bible is from God because of how it speaks to my life and how it explains me and the world that I live in. Nothing makes more sense to me than the way the Bible lays out the world. So that's, it is groovy. It is groovy. And, and so the Bible even has its own way of self-authenticating. But what we want to do this morning is we want to explore what, 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 
does the Bible say about itself? And why do we believe it's from God? And, and how do we respond to that idea? So what I want us to do is begin by taking our Bibles and opening them to 2 Timothy chapter 3. So that's way towards the end of your Bible, 2 Timothy 3. We're going to look at a classic passage on this subject. And uh, you can, you know, it's one of our values to bring our Bibles with us. And sometimes we don't have our Bibles, that's okay. So you got a pew Bible maybe in one of the chairs around you. You get your phone, open it to the Trinity app or another way of accessing the Bible. A number of ways to do it, but it's one of the reasons that we... Uh, bring our Bibles with us and open them every Sunday is because we believe that our Bibles are a book from God. We're going to look at this passage, 2 Timothy chapter 3, and uh, we're going to begin in verse 12. And let me give you a little bit of context. Verse 12 starts out with a challenge to maturity. It's a challenge to Timothy. Timothy is a young pastor. He's an elder in, in uh, church overseeing that church as its pastor, and he's a young man that Paul has cultivated and mentored and discipled, and now he's uh, leading his own church, and uh, Paul wants to challenge him to maturity, and you're going to see that challenge. It actually starts out with a challenge to maturity, and then not only is there a challenge to maturity, as we read the passage, look for the challenge But then also look for the means, the pathway to maturity. First the challenge, then what's the the way that Timothy is supposed to get from here to there? And see if you can see that also as we read this passage. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 12. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil men and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving And being deceived. But as for you, continue. Here's the challenge. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and become convinced of. Because you know those from whom you've learned it. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's a great passage. And you see here this challenge to maturity. It's a challenge to Timothy. Paul says, listen, the rest of the world is going the wrong direction. The rest of the world, he uses a phrase, is going from bad to worse. Evil men and imposters, they're going to go from bad to worse. So that's the direction of the culture. That's where things are headed, from bad to worse. But instead of uh, you going from bad to worse, uh, you know, going from bad to worse, they're deceiving and being deceived. So the whole culture is headed one direction. But Paul says, listen, no, 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 don't, don't go from bad to worse with everybody else. Instead, verse 14, he says, uh, continue... Verse 14, but as for you, continue in what you've learned and become convinced of. So everyone's headed this direction. Timothy, don't do that. Don't you head that direction. That's the, that's the flow of culture. That's, that's where inertia is taking everyone else. But I want you to keep growing. I want you to become mature. I don't want you to go from bad to worse. I want you to keep the faith, baby. 
That's what he says. That's the challenge to maturity. Timothy, as for you, continue in what you've learned. So that's the challenge. Keep the faith. If that's the challenge to maturity, then what's the pathway? How do you get from here to there? How is Timothy supposed to not go from bad to worse, but instead stand firm and keep the faith? Well, it's very clear in this passage that the means for that to take place, the means to maturity is something that Paul calls Scripture. I want you to notice the emphasis on what has been on truth. Truth. Notice the emphasis on truth in this passage. Some highlighted terms here for you. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of. See the focus on truth, what you've learned to become convinced of? Because you know those from whom you learned it. See this emphasis on content, on truth. And how from infancy you've known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. It's the scripture. We'll explain the term in a minute. But it's the scripture. And here it means the Old Testament. Paul's talking about the Old Testament because that's what he had at that point. That's what was defined as scripture at that point. It's the Scripture that has been and is going to be the means to your maturity. That's what he tells Timothy. Timothy, it's the Scripture, this truth, the things you've learned that have gotten you to where you are, and it's the Scripture, the truth, these things you've learned that are going to get you from where you are to where God wants you to be. So this, so central to Timothy's ability to keep the faith is this thing called Scripture. And, and that term, Scripture, shows up two times in this passage. Two times here you see the word Scripture. And, and this word Scripture translates a, a very important word in the New Testament, the word graphe. Graphe, we get our English word graphite from it, or, or uh, photograph. You know, every, every G-R-A-P-H word that we have in our English vocabulary comes from this word graphe. And uh, the Greek term means uh, something written, a document, all right? A document. But in the New Testament, it's used not just of any kind of writing or document. It's only used of this special body of writing, this special body of documents called graphe in the New Testament. And it's used 51 different times, 51 different times in the New Testament, and every single time it's used in this very technical sense of these writings that are from God. Uh, Used specifically of the Old Testament every one of those times, and two times also of some of the writings that ultimately would become part of our New Testament. So this word graphe, translated scripture, is not just any writing, it's this special body of books that have this unique quality that Paul is describing here. And he says, it's these, it's, it's these books that are the means to your maturity. So what Paul's talking about is our Bible, specifically the 39 books that we call the Old Testament. But also, unbeknownst to Paul at the time, God was currently expanding the scope of those writings to include the, his most recent and biggest work in the world, the sending of Jesus. 
God is currently in the process of expanding these books to include uh, what we now call the New Testament. And that's what Paul's talking about. Scripture, graphe. And Paul makes three amazing claims about these writings that he calls Scripture. We're going to look at these three different qualities. First of all, he says these writings, verse 16, all Scripture, all graphe. He obviously doesn't mean every writing in the whole world. He means all of this unique body of, of books. All of this is, first quality, God breathed. Now, that's an amazing claim because it means everything that you would think it means. I mean, on the one hand, you're like, what does God breathe mean? On the other hand, you're like, if I had to guess, here's what I would say it means. And your guess would pretty much be right, that it means everything you think it means, that it basically means that it's from God, that God is the source. This, all these writings, they are sourced and have come from God himself. And he uses this term, God breathe. We kind of have a in our English terminology, we have a, we've kind of preserved this idea because when we talk about the Bible and its uniqueness, we use the word inspired or inspiration. We believe in the inspiration of the Bible. Well, that word inspiration actually has God, uh, breathing in it. So inspiration is the word we use to describe this quality of the Bible, and it comes from the Latin. I did not practice this Latin term, sorry, so I'm going to call it I pronounced it probably five different ways in the first service. I'll try to stay to one or two today. Uh, Sperer. Let's call it that. All right? Sperer. Um, that's the Latin root, and it means to breathe. So we have uh, some English words that are, you can kind of see that etymology. Expire is to breathe out, and when you breathe out for your last time, you expire, right? So we have that word. Uh, expire, and respiration, which basically means just breathing, right? So you can see that even in English, we have this uh, S-P-I-R root that means to breathe. Well, that's where we get our term inspiration when we're talking about the Bible. We're talking about this quality of the Scripture, that it was God breathed. And everything that you might imagine comes with that term, comes with it. If it's God-breathed, that means that these writings are from God. And if these writings are from God, then it means certain other things are true of the Bible. If these writings are from God, then that means that Scripture is accurate. God is not a sloppy communicator, so he communicates with care and precision. Secondly, it means that it, everything, all Scripture is authoritative. That means that it's the final word. On If it comes from God, it's the final word. No arguments. Not only is it uh, accurate and authoritative, it's trustworthy. That is, when you have to choose between something that comes from God and something that comes from someone else, you go with God. It's trustworthy. And that's all these things are bound up in this idea that, that all Scripture is god breathed. That's why Jesus accepted the Bible. That's why he taught it. That's why he submitted to it, because he believed that it came from God. That's why Paul commends it to Timothy, because he believes that it came from God. That's why Paul 
calls it the holy scripture in verse 15. He uses the adjective holy to describe writing, this holy writing, because he believed it was from God that makes it holy. It makes it unique and, and uh, special and uh, gives it a special quality. It's not just an ordinary book. It's not even an ordinary religious book. No, this book is holy. It is from God because it's God-breathed. So that's the first quality. God breathe. The second quality, you wouldn't even think you'd have to say this, but you do. And Paul had to in his day too. Not only is it God breathe, but the fact that it comes from God, crazy, you even have to say it, but it actually makes it useful. And you wouldn't think you would have to say, well, this is truth from God, so it's useful, but you do. You do. The idea is that he uses the word All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful. You might have the word profitable in your translation. And uh, the idea is that these are advantageous truths. These are beneficial ideas in here. They're actually useful. And it's ironic that you have to say it, but you do, because when you talk about the Bible, people kind of eye-roll, you know, and like the Bible is a boring book. And Well, you know what? Uh, If the Bible is from God... And it, then it is useful. Truth from God is always useful. Truth from God, I mean, think of it. Truth from God will give you an edge on life. An edge on life, this life, gives you an edge in this life. Truth from God. Think of how far ahead you could be, you know, if you had access to truth from God in this life. And not only truth from God in this life, but truth from God, uh, 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 an edge on life, in, edge, edge on life here, but an edge on life to come. That's pretty useful. It will get you in good with the creator of the universe. That's pretty useful. It will give you a heads up on the rules of the game of life. That's pretty useful. Uh, If you pay attention, I mean, it answers the question, will it be on the test? Yes, this will be on the test. It's useful. There will be a test, and you will need to know this. So the Bible, Paul says it's useful, and then he gives four different instances of its usefulness. He says all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for things. Number one, teaching. The Bible is useful for teaching. That is, it's a source of knowledge and truth about God in the world. It's a way that we can get true facts and true perspective. So it is useful for teaching. Secondly, it's useful for rebuking. Sounds kind of like a negative term, you know, but, but really it's a positive idea. You think of rebuking as the rumble strips on the, on the highway. Those rumble strips, you know, when you hit them, they're like kind of annoying, and just, but, but you're thankful for them ultimately because they keep you headed in the right direction and off off the edges. Well, that's the idea here, that the Bible is has a rebuking quality to it. It tells us when we're heading, heading life off the road. And it says, wait, 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 stop, you know, you're not a healthy direction. And it's that's useful. It's kind of startling and sometimes unpleasant, but it's useful. Not only is it useful for teaching and rebuking, it's useful for correcting. Now, correcting, I like to think of that as less the rumble strips on the side of the highway, more like a GPS device to keep you headed in the right direction. You know, that it's, it's a way that can keep you correct, can keep you headed in the, in the right direction. And not only that, it's useful for training in righteousness. It can coach you. 
in life choices and right living. So you want to say, is the Bible useful? Well, I don't know. Do you like truth about the world? Do you like rumble strips that keep you out of danger? Do you like GPS that shows you when you're pointing in the right direction? Would you like a life coach to help you make right choices? Yeah, well, that's what the Bible is. It is useful. And not only that, I mean, its ultimate use really is stated in verse 15 where Paul says, it will make you wise for salvation. You see that in verse 15? Uh, They're able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus. Here's, Here's what the Bible does. I mean, the Bible shows how you and I can have a repaired relationship with the God of the universe. And the big idea of the Bible, all 66 of these books put together, describe this trajectory of how God created the world and mankind messed it up. And how God, because he's loving and gracious, has entered into uh, fixing this. And for, for hundreds of years, he promised to send someone who would fix it. And then one day, someone came to earth who very clearly ended up, very clearly was the second person of the Trinity. Now come in two weeks, and we'll talk about that idea. The second person of the Trinity. God himself entered the world in a human body, and here's how he was treated. He was, he was responded to fabulously by some people, and he was opposed by other people, and ultimately crucified by people in power. And you know what? He didn't stay dead, because he's the second person of the Trinity, and he came back from the dead and overcame death, and now has ascended to heaven and has promised to come back and make everything right with the world. I mean, that's the story of the Bible. And anyone who wants to know what God is at work in, how God is at work, can understand that through the Bible and can become wise for salvation by understanding that this one that God sent is the one that if you look to him as the one God sent, just through faith in Christ Jesus, this passage says, you will have your relationship with God repaired and your sins forgiven. You'll be adopted into the family that this creator is building. The Bible is how we understand that this is what God is doing in the world. It makes us wise for salvation. One of the things that reminds us how important the Bible is, is is when we remember a, a young couple from this church who have devoted their lives to translating the Bible into the language of a people group of about a half a million strong who don't have a Bible in their language. John and Aaron have devoted their lives, to their whole, you know, all of their earning years to living in a remote part of the, of the world, learning another culture and another language so that they can take the original languages of Hebrew and Greek where the Bible was composed and and make another people group wise to salvation. What a tremendous sacrifice. I mean, this must be something. So it's useful. And it's God-breathed. And then one final quality that I hope maybe you'll be able to see in a new light. It's, it's this idea that we call equipping. 
That's verse 17. So that the man of God or the person of God, or you might have a translation that says the servant of God, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's the purpose of the Bible. And here's, here's what I'd like to challenge you with. Maybe you're like, you're with me and you're like, you're tracking and you're thinking, yeah, I believe all this about the Bible. All right, all right, all right. You know, but what do I, well, let me, maybe you never thought about this. See, this is how you become equipped for good works. We know from the book of Ephesians that God has created every one of us to accomplish good works. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, 10. Read that. So God has made you for good works. He has great things He wants to do in you, and He has great things that He wants to do through you, things that can resonate forever. God wants to do these good works in you and through you, but you're not automatically ready for those good works. You are not automatically ready to do these great things for God. You are not automatically the person you need to be. You do not automatically have the insight about God that you need to have. You do not automatically uh, have insight about people in the world. So that means that you're not automatically ready to do these good works that God made you for. The only way that you'll be ready to do these good works is through the equipping that comes through our Bibles. That's how you'll come to a saving relationship with God. That's how you'll learn what God is really like, what the world is really like, what relationships ought to be like. That's where you'll learn what God wants to do in the world and the role that He wants you to play in it. It's by, by engaging with God through His Word. That's what this says. Scripture is given so that the servant of God can be thoroughly equipped for every good work that God has created you to do. You want to do great things. You can do great things. But this is how you're going to get equipped for that to take place. This statement is not in your notes, but I wish it was. It's just this. The Bible connects and prepares you for the works that God created you for. The Bible connects and prepares you for the works that God created you for. So that's amazing. God breathed, useful, equipping, the means to our maturity. And that's an amazing thing. So what we have here is an amazing book in our hands. We have a holy book. Now that doesn't mean that it itself is a relic a holy relic. But the truth that it holds is, so when we say at Trinity that we believe in the inspiration of the Bible, that we believe that the Bible is God's Word, when we say we believe that the Bible is our ultimate and definitive authority on every matter on which it touches, we believe that it is without error on every matter in which it touches. We're saying that we believe we have a book that is from God and is useful and equipping. First it was the 39 books of the Old Testament, and now with the records of Jesus' life and the writings of, the, of some of the people who were part of the Jesus movement in the very first decades after his resurrection that composed the New Testament, 39 books, Old Testament, 27 books, New Testament, we have a library of 66 books that tell us everything that we need to know about God and our relationship with him. Groovy, Right? Everything we need to know. And that's why we love the Bible. We don't worship the Bible, 
But we love the Bible, and we teach the Bible, and we obey the Bible because we have a book from God. Can you dig it? So how do we respond to the fact that we have a book from God? There's only one way that makes sense. We respond by, as, by getting as much of it as we can. If you dig it, then dig into it. If you want to love God more and you want to know God more and you want to connect with those works that God wants to accomplish in you and through you and you want to learn to love people more and have relationships that are healthier, then you go to the book that came from God and you read it. It's how you'll keep the faith, baby, and not the baby faith. We have more access to God's Word than any culture that's ever existed. We have multiple translations that are reliable and valuable and and easy to access. We have a dozen places in Walla Walla this afternoon. You could probably go buy a Bible if you needed to. We have, and, and if you couldn't do that, you can get it on your phone. You can get it on your computer. I mean, it's just so easy to access. There has no, never been a, there's never been an era with easier access to God-breathed truth. We should respond by getting us some Bible on a regular basis. And there are a lot of ways to do this. One reason we make a priority every Sunday, a centerpiece of our worship service is what the Bible says, and understanding it and putting it into practice. We have adult Bible fellowships that teach the Bible. We have growth groups that uh, share and, and want to understand the Bible and then help each other put it into practice. All those things are useful. The Bible is the centerpiece of so many of the things that we do as a faith family. But you know what? It, there's one thing that you could do that, that could make it an even bigger impact than some of these. You know, research shows that the difference between people who really make progress in their faith in following Jesus and those who don't, there's one big difference in their habits. People who make progress as Jesus followers open their Bibles on days when it's not Sunday. Okay? In their home, in a coffee shop, wherever, they open their Bibles and read their Bibles on their own time. And research shows that there's a significant gap between people who do that and people who don't. It only makes sense if the Bible is a book from God and it's meant to equip us for the good works that God wants to do in us and through us, that those of us who pursue it will grow from it. It just reinforces everything that Paul says. God's work is vital to our equipping for every good work. So one of the best things you can do, one of the best things you can do to know God better, love Him more, love people more, is to cultivate the habit, the regular habit of Bible reading on your own time. And you say, oh man, the Bible, it, I don't understand it. You know, it's a big book and I don't understand it. And I know where you're coming from. Now, what I'm going to say next, I don't know if it's going to encourage you or, or discourage you. I read my Bible uh, almost every day, not for sermon prep, but for my own edification Almost every day, and almost every day, I find things that I do not understand. I don't know if you find that encouraging 
or discouraging. <laughs> but every day I find things that I don't understand. But you know what? I find many more things that I do understand. And that convince me that God is speaking to me through truth. And it's like what Mark Twain said. He said, it's not the parts of the Bible I don't understand that bother me. It's the parts that I do understand, you know? So that's us. There's plenty that we can understand. And before we go this morning, right after offering, I'm going to share with you a little tool that will, may help you understand your Bible more as you study it. But, but the big idea is you will not understand it until you start reading it and, and understanding how it fits together. There are different ways to do that, and again, a lot of great tools to do that. But one way you could put this morning into practice, you could put this teaching this morning into practice, is by uh, grabbing your summer reading plan that's in your worship folder. Every summer we love to provide our faith family with summer reading plans. We don't always have growth groups and that kind of thing. And so uh, this is to take you all the way through the summer. If you follow this reading plan, you'll have read by the end of the summer through the entire book of Psalms and the entire book of Proverbs, two of the most well, you know, just for me, the most useful and practical of the whole Bible, Proverbs and, and the Psalms, and they'll help you live and they'll help you pray, and it's like two chapters a day, two chapters a day, and we'll walk you through that. And it's June the 4th, so if, if you're like, if you're motivated, you could catch up, okay? And, and if you don't, if you're not OCD about things, then you could just start June the 1st today and just take it a day at a time, you know, I mean, the different ways of doing that. Or worse comes to worse, just start on the fourth and call it good. But you want to grow, you want to be equipped for the good works that God wants to do in you, then you've got to have access to what he's like, access to the book that he gave you so that you can grow. I want to encourage you to do that. That's what we want to be as a church. That's who we want to be as a faith family, people who are really engaged with God, equipped for all the good works that he wants to do. God wants to do tremendous things in this valley. He wants to use us as part of that work. We will be ready for that work if we're equipped, and we will not be ready for that work. It will go undone if we don't equip ourselves through the book that God's given us. Let's pray. God, we want to respond to you as our heavenly Father with just thankfulness that you have given us truth. It is a crazy world. It's a confusing world. It's a challenging world. And uh, we are not without some guidelines. Instead, you've given us insight into your character, your plan for the world, how you're at work in the world through Jesus bringing people to yourself. We're so glad that you've, you've left us with an equipping book to help guide us as we follow you and love people. My prayer is that you will help us to be people who, who uh, engage with that book that you've given us. You'll give us increasing motivation to read it and absorb it and put it into practice. And then as we do, we know that your Holy Spirit We'll work it out in our lives as we, as we seek to uh, obey you. So we're just thankful, and our prayer is that you will help us to take full access and advantage of the word that you've given us, that we'll be the people that you've called us to be, doing the things you've called us to do. We ask it through Jesus, the one that you sent. Amen.